Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Leading Las Vegas, focused on the response by the state of Nevada to COVID-19. In this episode, you will hear about how leaders in our state connected the governor's office and how the National Guard responded to the challenges presented by COVID-19. I'm Sky Dunfield. And I'm Trey Curtis-Brown. And we will be hearing about the Nevada state response from the perspective of Colonel Justin Galley from the Nevada National Guard and Caleb Cage, the state of Nevada COVID-19 response director. Nevada is a state heavily dependent on tourism and industry that was hit hard by COVID-19. As travel restrictions were put in place and resorts were closed down in the initial response to this pandemic, many industries were affected. Nevada and Las Vegas specifically has one of the highest rates of unemployment that is linked to tourism in the country. This pandemic essentially shut down tourism and travel for an extended period of time, and this had major economic ramifications for the state and resulted in people losing their jobs. The reliance of Nevada's economy on tourism made this pandemic even more devastating, as the actions that the state had to take to keep people protected from this deadly virus consequently devastated the state economy. Because of the potential devastating impact of COVID-19 on Nevada, it was important to have a strong, coordinated effort at the state level. Colonel Ghali and Mr. Cage played a critical role in the coordinated response. Colonel Justin Gawley has an extensive military career and has worked in the Air Force for over 20 years. He was instrumental in shaping the 232nd Operation Squadron into an elite fighter squadron that helps support many Nevada advanced operational tests. Mr. Gawley has also served as the Director of Operations for the Nevada Air National Guard and recently held a position in Governor Steve Sisolak's office during the Nevada COVID-19 response as a liaison with the Nevada Guard. Currently, Lieutenant Colonel Galley is attending the National Security Fellows Program run by Harvard University. We are excited to learn from Lieutenant Colonel Galley's unique wealth of experiences in both the public and military sectors. We are also privileged to speak with Mr. Caleb Cage. Mr. Cage, a graduate of the United States Military Academy, West Point, served as the artillery officer for five years before beginning his impressive career in emergency management and public safety. Among his many accomplishments, he worked in the lieutenant governor's and governor's offices and led the Nevada Department of Public Safety's Division of Emergency Management and Homeland Security. He has also led the Office of Veteran Services along with serving as the Nevada System of Higher Education Associate Vice Chancellor for Workforce Development. Before returning to the Nevada System of Higher Education, Mr. Cage served as the State of Nevada's COVID-19 Response Director. When COVID hit, it was all hands on deck to try to figure out how to respond to the global pandemic. In Nevada, many state agencies participated in the response, including the Division of Public Behavior and Health, Division of Emergency Management, Nevada Department of Military, as well as the National Guard who worked together to protect the people of Nevada. Caleb Cage and Colonel Justin Gawley were two men on the front lines of the COVID response in Nevada. In this episode of Leading Las Vegas, we will be able to gain an understanding of what went well in regards to response to this pandemic and what did not. Our guests will talk about the importance of factors such as innovation and leadership in managing the response to COVID-19. One pressing question we had was whether Nevada was ready for a crisis of this nature and magnitude. Today, we were curious about the agency you worked for during the response and if you felt it was prepared for the pandemic and why or why not. I had left emergency management about nine months before the pandemic to come over to the system of higher education the first time. 
Uh, and um, when the pandemic hit in February or March, March of um, 2020, shortly thereafter, they asked me to come back and, and help coordinate and assist. And I don't think that was a statement of them not being ready. I just think that emergency management, public health preparedness organizations around the country to include national at the federal level were not prepared for the magnitude and the duration of this. So I'll give you an example. When I first started as the emergency manager for the state back in 2015, the very first exercise that I participated in was called Operation Rabbit's Foot. It was a federal require, federally required exercise that, that went through a flu pandemic scenario uh, and that required public health preparedness to go from identifying the virus presence to putting out a vaccine, distributing a vaccine through pods or points of distribution. And that whole exercise was about three days long. And, and I'm not criticizing the the preparedness effort, but this obviously um, has gone on for a year and a half now, or almost two years now. And so even the preparedness efforts that were in place at the time were were just inadequate because of the, the magnitude and the, the scale of, of this emergency. Colonel Galley felt that while it was difficult to fully prepare for something quite like this, the National Guard was prepared to assist in a crisis of this nature. Geez, how do you prepare for something like this, right? For a global pandemic? I think there's lots of books written about it, lots of people have talked about it, but how do you get how do you get a full scale whole of government, you know, prepared response to this? Unfortunately for our small state and our smaller government, that didn't uh, you know, preparedness was uh um uh, was difficult, right? And there's multiple reasons for that. But it, but what was what's interesting about the military in general and especially the National Guard as, you know, uh, citizen soldiers and airmen who are your homeland, defense of the homeland. We respond to crisis all the time. You see the guardsmen at fires, at floods. Probably if you were in Las Vegas over in New Year's, you probably saw saw uh, guardsmen at the airport. You know, we, we respond when our nation needs us. In terms of preparation of leading up to the pandemic, both Colonel Justin Gawley and Caleb Cage noted that no one was fully prepared for COVID. The pandemic was on a scale that surpassed all forms of training because of the magnitude and deadlines of the virus. As Mr. Cage mentioned, there was some level of preparation for an event of this nature, such as Operation Rabbit's Foot, which was a federally required program that played out a pandemic-like scenario. However, these limited training exercises were not even close to beginning to being extensive or large enough to prepare for professionals for a problem that COVID-19 presented. Colonel Gali also touches on why the National Guard was called in to help the state government and its agencies with the pandemic, and explains the extraordinary collaboration that took place amongst agencies to respond to this unprecedented crisis. Could you walk us through your agency's like initial COVID response and then how protocols have changed over time? So when I joined back with the governor's office in, in uh, March, April of 2020, that it was really the beginning. I think the first case was identified in the state of Nevada around March 6th, and we were beginning to see our first surge or, or the, the, the beginnings of the first surge in cases starting in April, May. And, um, you know, at, at first it was, how do we put the infrastructure in place that we need in order to be prepared for the long term? How do we how do we build testing capacity right now? The Nevada State Public Health Lab, the Southern Nevada Public Health Lab, private sector partners uh, in in early 2020 
we're capable of meeting the demands of a non-pandemic environment, right? Doing all kinds of testing for community health or population health in their areas, but clearly not to scale up to the level that they needed to in order to meet the demands of this pandemic, which was thousands of tests a week that they needed to process. And so, and it's again, no criticism of them. It's that, it's that the uh, organization was prepared for steady state operations um, when, a, when an extraordinary situation hit. So we spent the first, I'd say, you know, two or three months really building up that, uh, scaling up that initial capacity, making sure we had testing capability, making sure we were thinking about testing, right? Testing is sample specimen collection, which is actually doing the drive-through where you're driving into a place, somebody was sticking a swab up your nose and and then actually having that tested, and then for the positive cases, going to um, contact tracing, making sure we had the PPE necessary in the state, making sure we had hospital capacity. That really was our, our very first step. Colonel Galley also discusses the National Guard's initial response. Uh, you know, it was March of 2020. I think it was right around the first week of March was when the first case happened in Nevada. Uh, about mid-March was when the governor declared uh, state emergency directives. Um, and the president had declared his shortly thereafter. And then shortly then we did the stay at home right after that. Right. And, and we all know the rest of the story that, you know, the strip was shut down and every, you guys weren't, you guys weren't in classes. Everybody's trying to figure out zoom. Everybody's trying to figure out how do we, how do we work from home? I mean, at that point, I mean, nobody really knew information. I mean, we were still having meetings without masks on. You know, the, the epidemiologists were all trying to get uh, to gather, gather information. So I think when it came to the inclusion of the guard in this response, it was uh, really a great call by the chief of staff, Michelle White, the governor's senior advisor, Scott Gillis, and the governor to, to look at our organization, the Nevada Department of the Military, the National Guard as, as hey, wait, these men and women kind of do this. I know it's not necessarily at this at this level, but how do we get a small, really kind of not funded great state government together to re- to respond to this? And that uh, immediately included the guard under the direction of Major General Barry with the inclusion then, which was really at the time was was unprecedented of, of moving state government underneath the guard. So the, you had the Division of Public and Behavior Health, uh, which moved underneath the guard at that point. And you also had the Division of Emergency Management. So both of those were in their own departments outside of, uh, of the Department of the Military. One was in Health and Human Services and one was in uh, uh, Public Safety in order to facilitate a, a better response and a gathering of, of information. At the end of the day, our, our entire goal was to getting the governor and, and his office the best information that you had so that they could produce informed, informed decisions. The initial response in the state of Nevada was categorized by the shutdown of the strip and isolation and quarantine coupled with limited information. The governor had to act quickly and take some course of action as information was unclear and limited. The true extent of the threat was not fully known. It was apparent that resources were lacking and agencies were going to have to communicate and work together to combat the pandemic. There was the Division of Public Health and Emergency Management in bringing in the National Guard to assist state agencies. There was many questions to be answered initially and not much information. As health experts and emergency and crisis management leaders began working together, they started to prioritize the response. 
The first step was to deal with how to test people and enable contact tracing when a test came back positive. The initial response in the state of Nevada was in many ways positive, given the amount of information that was available at the time. There were often situations or decisions in regards to responses to this pandemic where there were no good choices. It was really a matter of choosing the lesser of two evils, in many cases in making decisions that would have, above all else, kept people safe, even if they were the unpopular decision. I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I'm going to spend a lot more time in the years ahead thinking about this because it was such a profound part of my life. I think that we in the governor's office gave the governor the best options for a really bad set of decisions that he had to make. There was there was no there was no good decision. There was no safe decision at the end of the day. Um, for any of these issues. You know, we said throughout, we were trying to balance livelihoods and lives. Those are two really important things, people's ability to earn a living and people's lives. And understanding that even in those that stark contrast, it wasn't that simple. It was also more complex than people's livelihoods and people's lives because the more mitigation measures we put in place, the more challenges we saw in the economy, which meant the more revenue, uh, the less revenue we received at the state, which meant uh, the, the more state services struggled and, and so on and so on down the line. So being able to keep coming back and saying, what is the, what is the best decision out of this, this list of bad decisions that we have to make right here? And what's our recommendation from that? Uh, I'm really proud of the decisions that we made and think that for the most part, um, you know, at the, at the highest level uh, throughout the entire process, we made the best possible decisions or the governor made the best possible decisions that he could and probably saved some lives in the process. I think that we learned from what we did not do as well. And here's an example I've used often. That is at the very beginning, out of necessity, the um, decisions were made by the governor and they were they were announced to our county and state partners and they just had to be it just had to be that done that way trey you mentioned shutting down the the las vegas strip it just had to be done these things had to be done quickly in order to stop the spread of the virus but of course our local partners county partners city partners and tribal partners and others came back and said you know we'd like to be a part of those conversations we'd like to have our voice heard in those decisions going forward. And I think each iteration of the, the plan and implementation of those plans going forward, we got more and more and more inclusive all the way up to August when we developed our task force. We actually had the um, counties at the table with us. We talked about our decisions and the challenges we were facing. Uh, we based everything off of data points and we made those those decisions in a public venue and i think where the earliest decisions were made quickly by the governor out of necessity over time we were able to do more uh collaboratively because we knew that this was going to be lasting longer you know and and i think implied in that is one of the things like i said earlier that i wish i would have been able to do better and that is uh work with work with our local partners in ways that we've been able to through the trust that we've been able to establish previously, uh, I think that was a challenge. You know, there there are a um, hundred logistical things that I think throughout the process we could have done better. 
Um, but for the most part, I think really standing up the standing up the framework that we did for logistics coordination allowed us to be able to modify that over time and, and adapt as the situation changed. Mr. Cage laid out for us the debate between lives and livelihoods. Certain people thought that their livelihoods were unjustly affected by the mitigating measures enacted because of the virus, while others felt that we must protect lives at any cost. This only added to the politicization of this pandemic, which hindered not only Nevada's response to the pandemic, but the entire country's. It also made decisions more complex because with most situations, no matter what decision was made, many people would be upset. The politicization of this issue and lack of information in regards to this pandemic, along with communication amongst agencies operating in different jurisdictions during normal day-to-day operations, were some of the largest roadblocks in an effective response. Both Colonel Galley and Mr. Cage touched on these issues as some of the biggest hindrances in the response. We had challenges uh, with our federal partners. We had challenges in in local relationships. I think if you ask our local partners, they'd say they had some challenges with us as well. An awful lot of that, in my opinion, came down to the hyper-politicization of this this, uh, pandemic, which is really unfortunate and was unnecessary. And we paid a price throughout the entire pandemic for for that politicization. I've said in other interviews, and I'll continue to say that one of the things that I wish I had done better was working with local partnerships and building that up, uh, building up the trust that was necessary in order to to respond, um, to coordinate a response. Every other case, we found ourselves to be undermined. We found ourselves to be contradicted by the federal government or working within constraints that were just too difficult to manage or, or um, the, that the lack of decisions, key decisions, made it even more difficult for us to manage this at the state level. So the whole situation, and I think mostly due to politicization, as I said earlier, was extremely challenging from a coordination perspective. Uh, I think we were able to work better and better with our local partners throughout, um, even with some of the, the challenges from early on. But we really never got the, on the same page as the federal government until the administration change occurred in January of this year. I don't know if there was any like deliberate difficulty. I think that, uh, you know, that the way that our state government was uh, on a on a sunny day, as I call it, it, it uh, there's there's parts of our government that doesn't talk to each other. Right. The, the, and the National Guard doesn't really they hadn't before really had too much interaction with the division of public and behavior healthy DEM. We, we did, uh, had a really good relationship. In fact, we share, share a building with DEM, but, uh, but with, with some of these other parts of government, we, we, those, those avenues for engagement weren't, didn't exist. So we had to create them. So although not intentional, I think at the beginning, sure, it was difficult. Right. And, and, and as, as you step into any, in anything with limited information, right. And a lot of, you know, stuff flying all over social media. I mean, did you guys see some of the, I mean, some of the stuff was remarkable, right. And that, that's, that didn't help. One major lesson that came out of this pandemic was the importance of agencies at federal state and local levels to communicate and coordinate with one another. Coordination between agencies created some challenges initially, but the coordination turned out to be quite effective. 
The goal of many of these coordinating agencies, such as the one Colonel Galley and Mr. Cage were a part of, was the pooling of their resources to give the governor the most accurate and up-to-date information to make strong decisions for the state of Nevada. This encompassed the inclusion of the National Guard in the COVID-19 response in Nevada, which Colonel Justin Galley touched on when asked what his job in relationship to the governor's office was. When it came to the inclusion of the Guard in this, in this response, it was uh, um, really a great call by the Chief of Staff, Michelle White, the Governor's Senior Advisor, Scott Gillis, and the Governor to, to look at our organization, the Nevada Department of the Military, the National Guard as, as hey, wait, these, these men and women kind of do this. I know it's not necessarily at this, at this level, but how do we get a small, really kind of not funded great state government together to, re- to respond to this? And that uh, immediately included the Guard under the direction of Major General Barry with um, the inclusion then, which was really at the time was, was unprecedented of, of moving state government underneath the Guard. So the, you had the Division of uh, Public and Behavior Health, which moved underneath the Guard at that point. And you also had the Division of Emergency Management. So both of those were in their own departments outside of, uh, of the Department of the Military. One was in Health and Human Services and one was in uh, uh, Public Safety in order to facilitate uh, a, a better response and a gathering of, inf- of, of information. And, um, which at the end of the day, our, our entire goal was to getting the governor and, and his office the best information uh, that you had so that they could produce informed, informed decisions. And then to follow up to that, what it, what we did was ensure that those decisions that were made by that decision maker, the governor uh, were implemented in, in a, in a manner that's consistent with the decision makers decision. Does that make sense? And, and so, so, all right, we're going to provide you informed information as we know it, right. Which was limited at the, at the beginning, it got better. Um, And then, okay, how do we make sure that your decisions were implemented with that, with that intent? And so there were some things that generated outside of that, but I think that that call to bring those organizations together, you know, the um, public and baby or health who deals with medical pandemic, public health issues, which this was division of emergency management, who knows those really those streams of resourcing and flows of money, especially with the federal government, they've got those great relationships. And then the operation planning, operational planning and skill sets of the army and the air force, which was, which was us. Uh, and how do we bring those things all together so that we could provide a product to the governor and his senior, his senior advisors that, uh, that, that was informed and, uh, and helped residents in our, in our most vulnerable communities. This pandemic and the immense demands it created led to innovation in many fields. In this case, it was the restructuring of the state agencies within Nevada and the state government. Perhaps the largest innovation that took place in this pandemic was the creation of a vaccine. Mr. Cage discussed with us the government's action in making the vaccine a reality as efficiently as possible. You know, the Operation Warp Speed was the the effort to bring about the vaccine, and it was extraordinary. In my opinion, that was an example of government going in and breaking down the bureaucratic barriers necessary in order to expedite a scientific process and to do so in a way that uh, people could still maintain faith in 
the outcome, which was the, the critical outcome being the vaccine. That was one example that I think was really, really well done. The federal and state government cut the red tape and fast-tracked the development of the vaccine. This process was of utmost importance because of the high mortality rate of COVID-19. Although the fast-tracking of the vaccine was the most obvious example of innovation that came out of the pandemic, there were many examples that happened on a smaller scale at the local or state levels. Caleb Cage gave us some great first-hand examples of leaders stepping up and innovating the COVID response on the front lines. I was in, I was responsible for the overall coordination effort, and so I can I can say that almost no innovation came from me, but all of the really important innovation came from organizations that we were coordinating with. So, for example, Mark Pandori, the state director of the state public health lab, you know, early on when when we had to get tests and and we needed test kits, obviously there were um, tests that were being being developed in in places around the world, but we needed the actual kits to collect them. And so that was a, a swab, that was a um, uh, viral transport medium and a vial is basically what it came down to. And um, Dr. Pandori said, well, we're going to we're going to work on 3D printing these swabs. We're going to build out new machines and new areas um, so that we can go from doing a couple of hundred tests, running a couple hundred tests a day to running 1500 tests a day. The innovation that came out of his lab was extraordinary. You know, we partnered with the Nevada System of Higher Education. Nevada State College used their lab to create the viral transport medium. So that vial of saline or, or other VTM, you know, these labs picked that up on their own responsibility. We bought the supplies. They got um, together in their labs and, and just did it. Not, not, not necessarily an innovation per se, but a partnership that was critical. Amber Donnelly, who's the Dean of uh, Nursing for Great Basin College out in Elko, built a contact tracing program using staff and students out in, out in Elko that really became the model for the entire state, which was, which was remarkable and a, and a pretty impressive feat to stand up so early on. And, and there were just so many innovations that came from necessity associated with this. I think when we were going through the policy proposals, there was a, um, a group of tavern owners, bar owners in Reno who got together and I don't remember the name of the organization, but they got, they got together. I think there were 32 of them, and they all agreed to participate in certain specific standards for reopening and policing uh, one another, among, you know, self-policing so that they could reopen, which was an interesting policy concept to consider. So there were, there were all kinds of things. Um, two, two that come to mind, some of our rural communities are continuing to, but but started early testing wastewater in their community to to determine where COVID-19 was happening and what it, what the measure uh, of it was in their community, which was pretty impressive. And then by, by far the biggest innovation to come out of all of this was the vaccine research, in my opinion, that, that I think was pretty transformational and continues to be the best tool that we have as, uh, as a nation, but really around the world for fighting the, fighting the virus. Many of these innovations had huge positive impacts on the local and state COVID-19 response. The primary came from people who were stepping up to do their part and leading. 
whether or not they were in a leadership role. The development of 3D printable swabs was a major development that drastically elevated testing capabilities, an outside-the-box solution to the testing problem that incorporated new technology. The contact tracing model was pivotal to containing and pinpointing cases. This innovation gave us the tool to alert people when they had been in contact with someone who had contracted the virus and helped people from spreading the pathogen unknowingly. Colonel Galley also addressed how innovation was a huge part of many of the positive responses that took place. It's happening from the boots, the boots on ground uh, um, folks. What's happening at Cashman? I don't know if you, if you all happen to visit Cashman. Uh, that was a major hub for the community in Las Vegas for, for testing later vaccines. And, and so we had some incredible folks on the ground, uh, uh, there's an army sergeant, John Huss, who, um, there was a Facebook page that popped up called the Las Vegas vaccine hunters. And he was a sergeant that stood out in the parking lot and kind of directed people where to go. Right. Cause there was a lot, a lot happening. And he had noticed that, that during the vaccine portion of the response, that there were, there were groups that were showing up, uh, maybe that weren't in line with the, with, um, the vaccine, distribution criteria. So if you, if you remember, we, we had some, uh, the most vulnerable populations, the elderly population first, uh, and then worked it down to the healthy, you know, um, to the healthy populations. You know, we let the first responders get there, get theirs, the grocery store workers, those get their vaccines first in a, in a priority. Well, what we had found was that the vaccine that it once, once it was tapped for lack of a better term, uh, and out, out of a cold storage, it only had about a 12, uh, if I remember correctly, six to 12 hour life at room temperature. And so at the end of the day, you would have potentially some, some vaccine left and it was the end of the day and there wasn't anyone, anyone there to, to distribute it to. There's, there was a group that had formed and was paying attention to this and they were going to, they were showing up and saying, hey, if you guys have leftovers, can I get a shot? And they might not have been in the hierarchy. Well, John Huss it, it had basically set up a wait list at Cashman and then organized that wait list. So people, folks would show up at 730 in the morning and he'd organize this wait list. He'd have them come back about 330, 315 in the afternoon. And he would have this organized wait list. And he didn't know if there was going to be one shot to give or 20 shots to give. But if you wanted one, sure, show back up here and, and we don't want any of this to go to waste. And so that was, I thought was, was incredible. And that's a, a, a sergeant who's out there just helping folks to get to their appointments, to get into Cashman. And, and uh, he, he created this. He was a, he was a, a kind of a big deal on the news for a little while there. It was a, it was, it was fascinating to watch that, to watch that occur and to watch that develop at the lowest, at the lowest level. He didn't need a general to tell him to do that, which was uh, remarkable. And then, um, Others, we the other story that uh, was was an army sergeant uh, Longmire, who was part of our mobile uh, testing team. So getting out into the rural communities, the tribal communities, you know that that in itself, it's almost they're so so far away that 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 uh, you know and he knew that that it was just his team, and so some of the decision making that that was made by his small team was was absolutely incredible, and the information sharing that came back was 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 huge. And, and he went out on his own and learned Paiute and Shoshone welcome greetings. Just so as he stepped into, into uh, uh, the tribal nations, it, that they knew that, that we were here to help and to, to help answer their questions. And he didn't have anybody, you know, over top of him 
uh, telling him to do that. He, he did that. So I think you'll find stories like that. There's, there's probably 10 others, maybe uh, more. I bet you there's more and that uh, of those, but I thought that those were absolutely, absolutely fascinating at, at a, at a lower grassroots human to human interaction, which was, I thought was remarkable. The Cashman example certainly stands out. It showed how change can be made on the lowest level simply by someone being observant and caring. The desire to go above and beyond is leadership. John Huss was a sergeant who is essentially tasked with keeping people in line and making sure they knew where to go and with the proper forms and identification. He was observant and noticed a problem and came up with an innovative solution that allowed the vaccine unit at Cashman to use all of the vaccines they were allocated for each day. His innovation was resourceful and ensured that the precious vaccines that could save lives each day were not going to waste. Finally, we couldn't talk about a crisis of such epic and unprecedented proportions without mentioning the specific examples of leadership at the state level. Many workers responsible for the COVID response worked during a time of increased stress and uncertainty. As we would soon learn, there were some changes leadership had to enact in terms of how the state operated. Sure. I think that I think the things that went well was the forming and the adjustments within state government that I'd mentioned previously between the guard, DEM and uh, um, DVBH that we we did form into a group that was that was pretty resilient and that that made some significant significant impacts. I think that to that point, I think that we had great support from our community leaders and legislative leaders. And we, and we saw that throughout the, uh, throughout that la- the last legislative session, even to a point where they supported the governor's, one of the governor's bills uh, that the legislature was in full support of was actually moving the division of, imagine, of emergency management formally underneath the National Guard. And so now that, that agency moved from public safety, which is a law enforcement investigative focused organization, more under the guard, which is, which, well, now it's a team that's a little more broad-based emergency response and understands the operations and the resource and the resources piece. So that, that I think all is, is a product of that. It went, it went very well. I think that, that to putting that team together and coming up with that battle rhythm that we, that we had talked about earlier to producing this product called the governor's update brief, the gov, which provided those informed decisions, I think was, uh, was, was absolutely necessary. And, um, and I think that really also, and I got, I, I really do have to hand it to, to the governor. The governor put together a team that was pretty, uh, pretty good. And I think history will, will, will show that. I mean, his, his senior advisors, his chief of staff, our adjutant general, COVID response director, our d- director of emergency management, were all just incredible professionals that just, that just gave their entire heart to the, to the state. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a devastating impact on Nevada in terms of economic factors, day-to-day activities, and most importantly, lives lost. The state of Nevada and the country as a whole were not fully prepared for the magnitude of COVID-19. However, this, like many crises, creates opportunities for growth and improvement. Some of the positive actions that were learned about were the restructuring of agency jobs within the state, as well as the inclusion of the National Guard in the response efforts. A challenge of the pandemic, especially initially, was the need to often make decisions in the face of great uncertainty. 
This was especially problematic right when the pandemic hit and information was scarce. The collaboration amongst agencies was pivotal to providing the governor with up-to-date and accurate information so he could make informed decisions on how to best protect the people of Nevada. The politicization of this pandemic and the communication efforts on the part of federal agencies, particularly in D.C., were some of the major issues that hindered response and cohesiveness with the state and local government in Nevada. Despite these obstacles, there were many positive actions taken to stop the spread of this virus. Some of these steps were quite public, such as the development of the vaccine on the national level. However, many of these positive actions and innovations came from people at lower levels, stepping up and leading this fight from the front lines. There undoubtedly are stories just like the ones we have heard today that occurred in each state, and the people behind them deserve recognition for the role and innovations they provided to help save lives. Relatedly, there are many lessons to learn from the COVID response here in Nevada. Certainly, there were missteps, but by and large, these negatives are outweighed by the massive efforts of many professionals to innovate in terms of technology, infrastructure, and leadership. These innovations, which came out of the necessity due to the unprecedented nature of this pandemic, are a prime example of the state of Nevada and its people coming together and fighting back against this deadly virus to keep the people of Nevada safe. We would like to once again thank Colonel Justin Gawley and Mr. Caleb Cage for their leadership efforts, which greatly benefited the citizens of Nevada during the COVID-19 pandemic. This episode was produced by Daniel Barnes, Trey Curtis-Brown, Sky Dunfield, Peyton Fuller, and Tavi Tuatatsi. Audio editing was provided by Kevin Crawl. Additional episodes exploring the impact of COVID-19, as well as many other topics related to emergency and crisis management, are on Leading Las Vegas, a podcast produced by the Emergency and Crisis Management Program at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas.